1990, Michael Crichton's cautionary novel Jurassic Park captured the world's imagination and birthed a multi-billion dollar franchise. It tells the now familiar story of a wildlife park composed of long extinct dinosaurs, cloned using blood samples extracted from ancient mosquitoes. When things start to go wrong at the park, not long before its planned opening, Jurassic Park's investors demand an inspection from experts in the field. Doctors Ian Malcolm, Alan Grant, and Ellie Sattler are all brought to the park as consultants, along with lawyer Donald Gennaro and system engineer Dennis Nedry. Though at first blown away by the wonders of the park, the characters soon make disconcerting discoveries, belying an arrogant carelessness of park designers. Malcolm, meanwhile, spends his time expressing his doubts on the many things taken for granted by park controllers, while creator John Hammond extols the many technological advancements of his island, from the high levels of automation to the extraordinary number of animals they've created. Both of these features become key points in the approaching disaster, helped along by deliberate sabotage by the disgruntled Nedry. The park loses power, leaving Grant and Hammond's grandchildren stranded in the middle of the park, and Malcolm seriously injured by an attack from a recently freed T-Rex. What follows is a 200-page tale of Grant's journey with the kids and the efforts of the park office to bring the park back online. These efforts are further sprinkled with errors and short-sightedness that worsen the disaster, while characters are systematically picked off by escaped dinosaurs. When power is restored to the electrical fences, the park is more or less secure, though not in time to prevent many gruesome deaths of characters both named and unnamed. Grant, Sattler, and Gennaro, under duress, begin to take census of the number of animals bred on the island, but are soon evacuated with the rest of the survivors by the Costa Rican military, right before the destruction of the park by explosives dropped from the sky. The end of the book finds the survivors of Jurassic Park held by the Costa Rican government while the crisis is investigated, and leaves the reader with a chilling sense that not all the dinosaurs had been on the island when it was destroyed. Hello, and welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. This month we're talking about Jurassic Park, the ultimate tale of hubris. Screw you, Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, that's a very grandiose statement. All right, let's go. I guess we're doing this now. No, but it is. I mean, come on. That's kind of like the whole story, like human pride, deciding how much we can accomplish and not sort of accounting for shortfallings. Short, you know you're right. I don't guys... think shortfallings is a word. <laughs> last week I tried last month I tried to call you out on your word but this one really isn't a word <laughs> this All one's right, for well, real the tale of uh, man's hubris and that's the episode guys good night yeah, <laughs> like, that's all we have one. to say um, I don't know if you guys knew that about the story or not but we brought it to you so <laughs> alright get on with it <laughs> um, anyway here's why I love this book it's got tables and I love me a book with tables and data oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so if I was worse than the fan fiction last month. <laughs> this is right. becoming like my confession hour, our podcast. <laughs> Welcome to uh, You know what? I'm not ashamed of that though. There's some great fucking tables in this thing. All right, no, I respect the love for the data. I guess it's something that like, I mean, I guess that kind of highlights. I guess we're going to go into this now. It really highlights how different the book is from the movie. Oh my god, yeah. Like so they much are more completely technical. different stories, really. Yeah, I watched the movie, and, like, obviously, the movie's great. Like, it holds up, for sure. But, but the movie's a thriller, is what it is. Yeah, like, well, it's I not... mean, this is a thriller. It's a techno-thriller. That's a whole genre. But, okay, right, fair, fair point. Yeah, it is a fair point. <laughs> um, Correct. <laughs> but, yeah, it, like, the, the movie lacks a lot because the book is so rich in detail. That's true. And the it book, skips a lot of storyline, too, just, like, for time constraints, which, again, I get, like, no shade on you, Spielberg. A little bit of shade. Well, you can only capture so much. There's not a lot of good data in movies. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. There's no good way to, like, all right, guys, and now I'm going to show on 30 seconds this data. Well, I'm going to computer see what the tables have to say. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. But, like, I feel like the whole, like, the... In the movie, does the movie start, like, basically... I haven't seen the movie in years, I'm going to be honest. But, like, where does it start? Um, it starts with a raptor, like, being put into an enclosure at night and eating a guy. Okay, so... It, but does it, like, Mostly talk about... I think totally eating Grant, a guy, actually. 
Does it talk about like Dr. Grant like being at the Yeah, yeah, the yeah. It has and, him like... at his dig site and everything. And like has that computer okay. thing that um uh detects stuff in the ground too. It's got that stuff. And then he like horrifies a child for no reason. That child oh, has no parent. It's just there at this dig site. <laughs> oh, we're not watching it. We're like, who's this kid? What's it's happening? a dig site vagrant. Don't you know it's, those? Yeah. It's a dig urchin. It's good luck. <laughs> dig urchins always know where to find the best bones. All right. <laughs> and I think he said like whatever they were doing was boring or something. And then Grant just like talks to him about raptors and like pretends to cut his stomach open with a fake raptor claw he carries around. <laughs> It's a power move. That's dope. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's this whole, like, subplot in the movie about Grant, like, not liking kids and him and Ellie being a couple, which, you know, that's such a Hollywood thing. Like, oh, there's a male and female character who are, like, tight, therefore they're in love, even though in the book they're clearly like, oh, no, we're not together. Like, she's actually engaged to this doctor and, you know. Yeah, and there's, like, professionals. Also, like, he's, in the book, he's, like, 20 years older than her. Yeah, he's, like She's one of his grad students. That's kind of true in the movie, too. I don't remember. The I would movie say she's like, a postdoc. He says so she's she in graduate, graduate school, school, but I'll call her a postdoc because she has a doctorate right. already. Oh, you're right. Either way, the point is he's a research mentor and gross. <laughs> well, no, it, it, he's not gross in the book. He's gross. He's in not the gross movie. in the book. Absolutely not. And he's like nice. He's to the super kids cool in the, in, the book. in the book and in the movie. He's just like fuck off, kids, <laughs> the whole time. Then tries to stab one. That's not true. I mean, he helps them and everything, but um, anyway, that's not the point. But what is the point? <laughs> Peter, there is no point. I'm sorry to tell you like this. Oh god. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, it's the book's so much more rich in detail though. Like we talked about like the, the data and all. And I just like the uh book when they're going through the computer system. I think it's a cool like peek into how computers used to be. Oh my gosh, I know. Like real old school computers, like old network computers. <laughs> That's really cool. And there's no internet, yeah. man. They had to use the phone yeah. lines to transmit data. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like, yeah, That's, like, a whole about how important they, point. Yeah, like, a major part of the plot is because they couldn't call the damn ship because he was using all the data, and they couldn't call for a doctor because, uh, what's his name, Nedry? Yeah, Nedry. Nedry was using all the all the data lines that were phone lines. It was great. Which is wild. The only experience I've ever had with using a modem was when I was little, and I got Morgan, our eldest sister's old laptop, and I wanted to connect it to the internet, and it didn't have an Ethernet jack. <laughs> You so I I hooked up. up I hooked up to the phone line. That was your only time. I've no yeah it's the only time I've ever Do needed you, dial. You don't remember the. Burr, burr, burr. Well no I remember it from that time I used a computer. Okay fair enough. On dial. That's, that was very familiar. I also to me remember when like I signed into my AOL account. The... Oh well yeah my. <laughs> I mean you don't mean that because that's not the interest noise to AOL right? No 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 it's no. Like... But I mean that was like the connecting to the internet noise. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Unless yeah, it wasn't I mean, a great impression, but you remembered anyway. All right, cool. So that's, like, the cool part of the book, I think. That's, like, a major plot. They talk about it a lot. It's Well, that's what I love about, like, kind of... Well, Crane always writes kind of in the contemporary. Like, he never... I feel like he, there was never any future stuff. It's just like, oh, people have been secretly researching this and you didn't know about it. It's kind of the premise. Because I think the book takes place, like, in 1990 when uh, it was published. Well, I think it's a little more alternate world. Like, he talks about a world that, like, exploded in genetic research, basically. I think it like, did. Like, instead of the 20th century being... Well, not as much, though. Well, clearly I mean, not. <laughs> okay, that's a fair point. But I feel like in the 20th century, they're talking, you know... Uh, antibiotics were huge. Like, vaccines, awesome, huge. Genetic engineering, not so much. I mean, I think that... I mean, wasn't Dolly kind of, like, in the 90s? Like, I think that genetic engineering was a big deal back then. You don't know about it because you were not born. And neither was I. So neither of us are really people that should talk about this. <laughs> I'm just assuming. I, I take for granted most of the stuff he says. I mean, like, obviously, the dinosaur stuff is not true and actually impossible, which we can get into. Um, but I give him credit because, like, a lot of the research that sort of disproved the possibility of Jurassic Park has happened after the fact. And Crichton, really, more than any other author I know, certainly any other mainstream author, has great attention to detail and great fidelity to actual science in his writing. Oh, yeah, he definitely, like, there's some of the things he says that are just like, that's a little outlandish, but they're just close enough to be true. Like, you look at Timeline, which I guess we'll do that later at some other point. Certainly. But, like, that book's basic premise is something that's like, well, that's not totally a thing, maybe. 
Hmm. hmm. And kind of like, this is just the next step past what we know or what we think. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I like my credit. You know what I think is the most far-fetched thing about Jurassic Park, Peter? Uh, the fact that it went bad? No. That they fucked up so bad? The fact that it took them five years to do it. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? It took them five years. Rue's only been working with Hammond for five years. <laughs> That's oh, so you mean, absurd. Like, how short it's... I don't care how much money you have. You cannot accomplish that much in five years. Well, my idea Do was that like... you have an idea how research works? No, my theory for that was like... That's why I thought of it as an alternate world, like genetic research being way bigger. Because like there was a whole lot to kind of lean on. Like they were trying to take the next step. And basically... Yes. No, my thoughts is... <laughs> what they were basically doing was just collecting genetic data and using it and repairing the data. I mean, I think it's sort of like a leap of faith you have to take, like, oh, when you have stupid money, you can, like, fuel all these inventions and stuff like that. Because it was definitely very much based on the technology. Like, oh, we have, like, the most advanced sequencers. And, like, with the, <laughs> the movie has a stupid part where it's like, our scientists use virtual reality to put together DNA strands. <laughs> Which Wait, is really? a little silly. A lot silly, yes. That, that was in Jurassic Park. I could see that one being in, like, Jurassic World. I know! But, I mean, well, actually... I think Crichton wrote the screenplay for Jurassic Park, so yeah, he has to be blamed for that a little bit. But I mean, the movie is definitely not as concerned with the science because that's not really the point. The point is that there's no, dinosaurs eating people. <laughs> <laughs> Consuming people, everyone's hurt. That's a right. for sure. One thing I'm curious about is whether or not like all the industrial espionage stuff was legit. Like whether or not there's actually that much going on. I never really heard about any in the real world, but I guess I wouldn't, right? <laughs> yeah, after doing the job. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think so. Like, that's not an uncommon thing. Like, the idea that, like, one company, like, develops just something so great that other people won't get their hands on it, you know? Yeah, but I mean, well, was the idea that they were going to, like, work around the patent? Because this, like, also plays into gene patenting, which I think was one of Crichton's favorite subjects and is one of mine, even though I don't know very much about it. But I just think it's really interesting. Oh, perfect. <clears throat> huh? Oh, perfect. <laughs> Things I'm interested in but don't know a lot about. <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly what this, this whole, whole podcast, podcast is about. <laughs> uh, I know a very amateur level about it. But, um, yeah, so it referenced, like, a SCOTUS ruling from 1987 um, when, like, the patent agency was able to first start taking uh, <clears throat> applications for genetically engineered animals. Like, a lot of lab animals are made that way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of when the idea of animal patenting started so like i mean crane does go to great lengths to sort of like legitimize the events of his book being like okay a company would do this because there's profit to be gained because they can patent it you know what i mean yeah although isn't part of the idea that's like they could use the gene because how does genetic patenting work is it like you can't match the dna exactly or like because that's not a you know I feel like, like sequencing the whole like how do how do you patent a genome? Like what part of it are you patenting? Uh, I think you're patenting. Uh, you know I don't know. <laughs> the sequence it's probably maybe, the method. but like, no, not the method. Not like probably, well, probably like relevant genes because they're not going to include like every nucleotide because I mean as the book points out like most of our nucleotides are the same, like and by the same I mean you know, mine is the same as a tree's type of a thing. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think the human genome shares, like, 60% or something of its genetic data with, uh, like, bananas. Yeah, something like, like something that. ridiculous. Like, there's, like, really weird don't, connections Don't quote there. us on that, but something like that. Don't quote us on anything. Don't, please don't quote us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, so the point is, it's, like, it would not be quite necessary to include every nucleotide, and obviously, like, having everything having some overlap is expected because that's just being a living thing but um yeah it's <clears throat> um i don't know i don't know how it works <laughs> all right cool so no doubt the techniques are part of it <clears throat> yeah i mean that it's probably specific genes it's probably yeah you're probably right it's probably specific genes or like notable gene markers in it yeah like that kind of identify it or something like that yeah, exactly. You know All right. Well, sure. <laughs> it's when like a um, like a lab animal has specific genes like disabled, so it can't express them. Like they oh, use okay. them a lot in um, research that requires like immunosuppressed animals and stuff like that. I'm sorry. Are you describing basically commenting out genes? 
Yeah. Basically. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's that's cool. Cool. So I'm glad. You uh, I guess that moves us nicely into genetic engineering. Yeah, for sure. So, I think it kind of one of the major parts of this whole thing is it's like science of that ethics is pretty freaking dangerous. Like. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, like, at our at the school we both attend, oh, I attend, she attended, you know, we have to take the philosophy course, right? Well, actually, I don't have to take it anymore. They just took it away. Philosophy? But, yeah. They used to require intro to philosophy to get an uh, engineering degree from Pitt. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. I took bioethics. Maybe it just counted for the... It counted, yeah. yeah. But I, mechanical engineering doesn't have that, so we had to take a separate philosophy course. Oh, that's cool. I like that. But, well, not anymore. So they just took it away. But <laughs> like the reason we had it, the reason we had it was because, uh, you know, you have to be like an ethical researcher. So bioethics is really important because you could actually, you know, bioengineering, you can start to mess with like some dangerous shit if you know. They give you enough knowledge to be dangerous, basically. Mm-hmm. With you know tech, I'm not sure what I'll do other show. than make like a bad gear or something. Uh, but... You could just be like, oh, I don't care if my part's bad. I don't care if people die. <laughs> and yeah, philosophy okay, I guess course will change your mind. So it'll <laughs> change everything. So. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, a, a big part of it, though, and, like, a lot of courses are like that. It might even be an accreditation thing, I don't know, for engineering schools. Maybe. And, you know, in biology, I'm sure they have something similar, or maybe a lot of schools require it. But just generally speaking, if you're, like, a researcher that's shown not to really care about ethics that much, you're probably not going to get lab postings <laughs> Andrew or grant money. And, or you'll be in prison. What? <laughs> you didn't go to prison. I don't know who you're talking about. Andrew Wakefield? I was just talking. Yeah, who oh, the hell's injured? He's the one who put, uh, published the paper about autism and vaccines. What an asshole. Although he's probably still making tons of money with the anti-vaxxers, but he got lucky. He got really lucky. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a matter of, like, you got to have some ethics behind it. Totally. So now, This is, like, it is definitely science without ethics. And, like, I mean, obviously, the quote everyone thinks about with Jurassic Park is you were so preoccupied with whether or not you could. You never stopped to think whether or not you should. And I yeah, think it's really like, important, especially in genetic engineering. Yeah, exactly. It's so big right now. So it's so hot right I, now. <laughs> okay, so we've been talking about CRISPR a lot, and just like real quick for you guys that don't know, CRISPR is basically a gene editing tool that we discovered. Uh, I mean, like it's become really big in the last eight years, but it kind of simplifies gene editing and makes it like a homebrew thing that you can do. Like, there's a lot of people in America even that are like just doing it at home and that's kind of wild to me not like large scale but like little things yeah. not on themselves either I feel like hopefully. tinkering with genes yeah which is wild to me like before it was you know computers made editing easy and like you know uh like writing code easy and like anyone can do coding at home now like it's starting to become a thing <laughs> that people can just do gene editing at home which is wild biological coding no it's like uh 3d printing yeah exactly but cheaper it's is it actually cheaper than 3d printing <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, it depends on how much you do. Genes are tiny, yeah, so don't so. you need a lot of them? <laughs> no, that means you don't need much. I mean, I know. All right. But yeah, so... Um, anyway, the point is that CRISPR being on the scene makes it a lot easier for people anywhere from, you know, tinkerers to illustrious academics to edit genes and make changes to basically any genome and any gene that they want to. So uh, kind of as a result, there's been a huge push, partially by um, one of the discoverers of CRISPR to really put in place some like stringent binding ethical guidelines for genetic engineering, because never before has it been so accessible. Yeah, really, uh, I mean, it's, it perfectly parallels what's going on in the book. Which is why I got to give Crichton credit for writing this book, you know, almost 30 years ago. Yeah, we had no idea this was a thing. <laughs> you know? We were at the beginning of, like, sequencing back then. You know, that was sort of around the time that the Human Genome Project was just getting started, and that didn't conclude until 2003, which is, I, I guess, kind of part of your theory, Peter, that it's just sort of an alternative timeline because, like, it, it took 13 years to decode one genome, and, you know, there's dozens of species being no, like created Left in and Jurassic right, they're Park, just firing so. them off, different versions, like... Yeah, like... This is why I said it's hubris, because there's that scene where they're talking to Wu, the uh, right, the scientist right. who's doing this, if y'all Do- don't know. Dr. Wu. Um, and he's like, Malcolm's like, how many have you made so far? And he's like, eh, I don't know, how many is it, <laughs> yeah, like 30? Like, I would know that by heart. <laughs> and then he like has this smug little moment where he's like, I stopped counting after we got to a dozen. Oh, like, oh that's mm, cool. I, I guess you, you suck. That's, <laughs> You're that's terrible. Cool. I, hope you huh? I hope you get killed. 
<laughs> I guess you're trash, huh? That's why I said it. Yeah, that's why I said it's like ultimate hubris. And then he talks about um, there's a whole scene of him talking to um, Hammond about improving on the dinosaurs and being like making them seem more like the dinosaurs of our fantasies and less like you know dinosaurs of reality mm-hmm. you know this guy it doesn't seem like he really believes that there's any limit to what he ought to be doing you also look at the one scene where dr grant's looking at the computer they're doing i think it's one of the scenes where they're bringing up uh, the accounts of the dinosaurs in the park and there's like the virgins assigned to these dinosaurs and he asks, he's like why what's this like oh yeah so sometimes you know early the first version has some bugs in it so we worked them out over time and basically it's just like computer <laughs> software yeah, it's talking about them as pieces of technology, not living things. Right, and that kind of blew Grant's mind. Grant, like, the whole time was kind of going, oh, man, these are, like, real things. These are pieces of history. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the whole uh, common theme of the book is, like, him talking to Dr. Wilbur Hammond and just being kind of, like, aghast at how they were treating or how they were thinking about these dinosaurs. Yeah, for sure. That's In kind of a, a more human way than Malcolm's aghastness, because, I mean, obviously Malcolm spends the whole book, like, saying, I told you so. <laughs> right, but his whole idea was behind, like, his his vaunted idea of chaos theory. Which, I still hold, has no bearing on the story at all. <laughs> do you have a righteous rant you want to do, like I had about the atmosphere and the Martian, or...? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not quite as justified, it's more of an opinion, but listen, like, the things that went wrong in Jurassic Park, yeah, sure, some of them were just sort of, like, human error, whatever... It's fine. But, like, the problems that really, really made things break bad, for example, Dennis Nedry sabotaging the entire system, including taking power away from the electric fences surrounding the dinosaurs. (laughs) Of course they were going to get out. Of course they were going to get out. Like, I I don't think that's really chaos so much as deliberate sabotage. Planned sabotage. And sure, he wasn't supposed to die and not come back and fix the fences. But I'm still saying... That was deliberate interference. That doesn't count as chaos. <laughs> that was a decided move. <laughs> That's a fair point. And like, you know, the he points out that all the um, unmapped areas of the island or un, unobserved areas of the island are contiguous. Like, they're all connected and <clears throat> animals can move from, like, area to area without being seen just by using those roads. And that's just human error, man. Like, why would any of the island not be observed? Oh yeah, most of this is just like basically human error. Like they could have very it's easily just incompetence, man. They could have very easily put some visual computers in there, like or rather like visual cameras in there, and just like had a dude be like, all right, you're the security guard, basically watch these, and just do like a regular security also, booth. There was a part, and I don't remember why, but there was a part that made it very clear that nobody watched the park at night. <laughs> like why? Yeah, you got why not? You got a park of basically natural bred killers. And some herbivores. And you know what? That begs the question. Why'd they have to make carnivores? I know they're more sensational, but come on. You didn't know how they were going to behave. Why did you start with making herds of carnivores? Why didn't you just make, like, one and see how you could handle it? Yeah, no. Why'd you make... You had a full T-Rex. Let it grow to adult size. Like, all right, time for a baby. Like, wait. Yeah, (laughs) cool. Time for another T-Rex. Man, one big T-Rex is enough. And you're keeping them in the same enclosure. They made eight raptors, Peter. Eight. (laughs) Basically, everything we know about raptors is they were probably smart and they were probably absolutely just murderous. Pretty good at killing. Yeah, just like pretty good at killing. The only like non-seriously scary thing we've learned about them in the last 20 years or like whether that we think like fur or not fur, oh, like have feathers. And that's like the only thing we've learned. (laughs) <laughs> still believe they're pretty scary. Not oh, as yeah, big as like they were in the movie. Like, or no, I think they'll go up, but, up to you know. an adult's shoulder. Like, five foot five. Five foot four. Something like that. Yeah. I think it's scarier. That's still killing. That's still if they were bigger, I could hide from Capable. them in like, places they couldn't get to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah swarm by them, but also, like, I can't go hide in like, a drainage pipe that's the size of me. Because like, the T-Rex can't get in here. Nope, this one can. And this one's worse. Yeah. Oh, you know what really messed with me? was the fact that dinosaurs could swim. <laughs> I did not know that. And Tim brings that up as, like, a known fact. I mean, it makes sense. Like, what the hell? Like... <laughs> yeah, because it described it as, like, almost gator-like, and it's, like, such a disturbing mental image to me as a freaking T-Rex swimming in a lake <laughs> like an alligator. That's so much worse. <laughs> it's just the eyes. It's so scary. <laughs> 
T-Rex in water is so much scarier to me than a T-Rex on land. Why? Um, I have no idea. I have no just idea is. either. But, I mean, alligators are basically a step above dinosaur. So, like, it makes sense that they could sw- they swim like dinosaurs, yeah, I guess. I mean... Oh, that is... Yeah, yeah I, I it was like really upsetting. Lot. I didn't really... In a lot of Because <laughs> the song was like, oh, yeah, we just get to the center of the lake, we'll be safe. Oh, no, sorry, kids. You'll die. It's... And everyone's like, stupid Lex, why don't you know dinosaurs can swim? I'm like, stupid Lex. dinosaurs can swim. <laughs> I am stupid Lex. I never thought this is I'd ridiculous. Why would I expect this to be a thing? Oh, God. All right. <laughs> um, so. I, Michael Crichton's vision of dinosaurs, too, I think is worth talking about because I think it gets slammed a lot these days for being inaccurate. But again. 30 years ago, like, a lot of discoveries have been made since then, and when this book was published, the idea that, like, birds were more closely related to dinosaurs than reptiles were was, like, really novel and cutting edge, and turned out to be right, according to all evidence since then, so, you know, again, yeah. gotta give props where props are due. You gotta look yeah, at it in the lens of what it was describes for sure. Like, we didn't expect any dinosaurs to be smart at all, like, 30 years ago. But, like, since then, we've yeah, discovered, you know, totally. uh, raptors had larger brain cavities, and raptors probably... Uh, had pretty like good muscle like really good refined muscle control and like things like that have we've gone oh shit these might be really scary we've discovered that they're probably not just like egg eaters but probably like uh you know carnivores in their own right yeah predators in their own right in their own in their own domain so like totally that's wild to me and he called that out from the start and you're talking about him describing these raptors in the book and he's like you know like an almost bird like an eerily bird like level of intelligence in their eyes because some birds yeah. are really, really intelligent, and they but they've got like a certain parrots. kind of intelligence. Yeah, parrots. Well, so, Cece, you don't have to be smart to curse. No, but parrots are supposed to be really smart. Are they? Okay, I didn't I realize it was a thing. I just thought you were going no, off the, yeah, the I'm speaking not just thing. Because they can talk. <laughs> Speech doesn't make you smart. And clearly. <laughs> Case in point. Uh, no, so it's like really cool how he describes it. He describes their motions, and like. Those motions are bird-like, are bird like, yeah, the, cool the snapping, like, the movement of the head he describes, like, yeah. and the movies, you know, a is true to book in that part. He does a really good job, like, helping you imagine them. Yeah, no, it's very good. He's, that's a good thing about him, like, overall, though. You talk about how, remember when Millie was reading Sphere, just, like, quick sidebar, and Millie oh, would, like, so come to me the next day, I was like, oh, how are you, like, are you still reading Sphere? She's like, yeah, I had to put it down last night, I got too creeped out, and I had to go to bed. Like, oh my god, he's so good at it. He's very, but he's very good at bringing you into that world, and Jurassic Park's a major part of it. Like, yeah. I had one night where I literally had to dream about dinosaurs after reading Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's so I'm awesome. pretty sure I died. Listen, it's a great book, guys. This is a great This book. is one of the books that people pass over because maybe they just see the movie and then they imagine that's all that is, and the book is so much more rich and detailed. Yeah, if you're, like, more science-minded, then it's absolutely worth a read i mean and even if you're not like in that discipline if you're just interested in it it's so good guys yeah it's very good um so i guess we probably beat that one to death that, that topic let's talk about the characters okay who'd you like in the book peach uh i liked grant a lot uh, he's easy to like he is easy to like i also kind of liked Gennaro. Yeah, Gennaro, I remembered him being kind of slimy, and I he was not really that slimy. He was, like, he a, was little a little bit. slimy. He, I mean, he, like... Yeah, he had a touch of slime. He, he's a guy that helps, like, like get overseas funding for shady organizations in America. Like, that's literally his... I they were being kind of unfair to him at the end, though. I think they were like, this is your responsibility. You have to go into the raptor pit. <laughs> Come into the nest with <laughs> to us. the raptor pit with you. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was that about? He got roped into a lot of shit. Like, he was just running around with freaking Muldoon the whole time, like, <laughs> armed. <laughs> doing security. <laughs> well, no. What I... You're a lawyer. What are you doing well, here? You're just supposed to tell them that it's not safe. Well, I know. That's what I love about him, though. Like, I think it's so... He's, like, the most real character. He gets in the mud. Because, yeah. all right, Grant is the, you know, paleontologist who turns out a secret badass. Oh like, yeah, total action. Where'd that come from? Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, listen, man. He he does like digs in the badlands, so he's very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, like what the hell? Why is he like the most badass character in the book and in the movie? Like Nah, Muldoon's the most badass. Alright, you're, you're right, but Muldoon's literally to be like fair, Grant just used his brain to get out of like the problems that he was in. Right, but like, you know, using your brain and you're like staying calm and like when you're being faced yeah, with a T Rex is pretty cool. Super unfair. But like Gennaro's is just like random dude. The whole book, I'm going like, yeah, that's kind of pretty much how I'd react to. That's about right. 
Like, would you? I wouldn't freaking volunteer to be raptor bait. All right, no, that he didn't. <laughs> Another unrealistic part of the book when they're like, someone needs to go be raptor bait, and everyone volunteers. No, please. He did not volunteer. He, Gray was like, no, you're going. You're coming with. No, no, no. I'm not talking about then. I'm talking about um, when they wanted to distract the raptor so Gray oh, could get to the control room. I feel like at that point, or, nothing. You're completely inflappable. Shed. If you're still alive, you're inflappable at that point. That's true. Those people were stone cold back in the day. I don't give a fuck anymore. Maybe I'll They're die. like, let me be raptor bait. No, I have to be raptor bait. No, it's me. Maybe I get to die sooner because this place is hell. Like, <laughs> please take me out of my misery, raptors. How many bullets do we have left? Do we have enough to kill ourselves? All right, cool. Like, I found it really surprising that Wu wanted to be raptor bait because he's such a little bitch and I hate him. I'm kind of glad. Didn't he get his like armor? He died. He died. He good. He died. He got eaten. That's right. He got eaten raptors, while uh, raptors ate him. Well, Ellie, right? He was like, Ellie, get back inside. And raptors were like, Nom. <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> Delicious snack. Ah, uh, good. <laughs> we will lead our creator now. <laughs> Rise up against our creator. Like they know. There's definitely a poetry in that, though. Like all joking aside, it was probably right. Both he and Hammond died in the book, which I again thought was right. I love how Hammond died in like a completely. Like, not can, <laughs> at was least Wu was he dignified. He's an old man. No, Wu died in a dignified way. Freaking Hammond died because he ran away from a recording. Of, I mean, Wu got eaten alive. What's uh dignified about that? Yeah, he but he got eaten alive like while trying to like distract raptors so that Grant could get. No, him. he's yeah. just trying to get Ellie inside. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a good. He wasn't like doing something bad in the moment. I think Wu's death was at least kind of noble. Is what I'm saying. It, Hammond it, yeah, fell and broke his hip. He was helping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he twisted. He sprained Sorry. his ankle, but he fell sprained for running away from a noise over the loudspeakers. Sprained his ankle. <laughs> no one came to help him, and he got eaten by like what are those things called? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, compies. compies. That was it. I wanted to say Constant chompies, nappies. but that wasn't right. Chompies. <laughs> that's a better name. <laughs> they did chompy him. No, no. So like, that's how he died. That's like a terrible way to go, but it's com- also completely undignified. Both of them got eaten alive, but Wu got eaten alive in a better way, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Hammond in a gentler way, though. But um, talking about differences between the book and the movie, Hammond is so much more interesting in the book. In the movie, he's just like this sort of naive idealist who just like really believes in this dream, and maybe it's a bad dream, but at the end he learns his lesson, etc., etc. Hammond in the book is stone cold and terrible. (laughs) Which I think is so much fun. It's so good, because the whole book, you don't see it from his perspective until right at the end when he's about to die, and the whole book, you're like, is this dude just a naive dreamer, or is he, like, just kind of a stone-cold businessman? Because the there's, like, that scene where he's like, come on, eat ice cream with me, Henry, and then there's a the scene where he's talking, well, actually, in the same scene, he goes from being like, eat ice cream, come on, man, it's fun, I want to see children smile, to being like... Damn those you know kids. What? I'm never going into the pharmaceutical business because, like, you just get screwed and there's no money to be made in saving the world and, like, you just gotta look out for yourself. Which, I mean, I think is interesting because that's, like, a whole other topic we could probably spend hours on. Like, the idea that, you know, it costs so much freaking money to create drugs and, like, when it's against certain kinds of diseases, people just sort of expect you to sell them for cheap. And, like, yes, a lot of people take advantage and charge people way more than they should for the drugs, but, like, a lot of times it's kind of necessary. Not necessarily to an extreme extent, but the point is there's a lot of pressure and a lot of politics involved. And, yeah, pharmaceuticals is a hard business to be in. So he's got a point. But I'm just saying, he acts like this idealist, and then he turns around and is like a stone-cold businessman. Yeah, and also there's the part where he's talking about, like, <clears throat> when he's, like, getting... Basically, when he, like, sprained his ankle and he's just, like, walking around pissed off. And yeah. he, uh... He talks about his kids, and then, like, he finds out they were basically just messing around the, the control room. And he's like, you know, stupid kids, I don't even like them. I only brought them here, so maybe Gennaro would go a little easier on me. Yeah, and he's talking about, like, oh, it was Wu's fault, he was an idiot, like, he's he was the problem, and, like, you know, Costa Rica was a bad idea, and, like, next time it's gonna be great. He was, like, blaming it on everything but himself. He refused to accept that this was just a bad idea, straight up. Yeah, you're talking about, uh, man's hubris. Like, Hammond was yeah. the hub- like, was the- in a lot of, you know, uh, literature, there's, like, people that are the embodiment of a certain, uh, basically, deadly sin, like, a certain uh, what are those what's a not a religious way to call that what the seven deadly i mean like yeah but like what's what's the oh, word for it i'm oh. trying to remember it anyway oh, shit. yeah i mean yeah it's sure like it's like his yeah sure his fatal flaw though is hubris and like his yeah his he's the embodiment of the pride of humanity thinking that we can just do anything we want and there's no repercussions and that 
Yeah, so Ham was like, all right, yeah, well, I believe in this dream. Therefore, I'm going to make it. I'm going to throw enough money at it and make it a reality. And that's kind of the arrogance that I like about him. That he's, it makes him a very interesting character. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he learned yeah. nothing. He learned all the way at the end, nothing. he goes, this is From everyone's fault but mine. Yeah, it's not because this was a bad idea. It's because everyone else screwed me over it, and yeah. I'm a poor, helpless victim. <laughs> then he's a victim he of compies. He's a victim who gets eaten by compies. And good, because he was going to just keep doing it. And I guess did I mean I like I there's two more there's three but. more parks that are made, so I gotta read the last one anyway. So yeah, Ham is really cool. Uh, is there anyone else that we want to talk about? Like any cool okay. people? <laughs> um, Malcolm, I can't decide if I hate him or love him. I think I must. I think he's a him, jerk, but only I think he's, he's a, a funny character. I like him as a character. I think he's a dick. But he's right. <laughs> um, I really like the description of people like him as having a deplorable excess of personality. That's a line I, I plan on using. When they were talking about chaos theoreticians and them being like quote unquote rock stars, which oh, yeah. hilarious concept by the way. <laughs> These rock star mathematicians. Oh, real though. Yeah, smoking all that marijuana. and uh That's probably where chaos theory came from. <laughs> That's how most high. things come about. But um the point is man, Oh shit, like man flaps its wing and across the world there's like a tornado. Whoa, you blew my mind. <laughs> Let's do some math. <laughs> it's college, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, they were talking about chaos theoreticians and saying that they had a, quote, deplorable excess of personality. It was just like an unattributed quote, and I thought it was hilarious. That's a pretty good quote. I, I like that so. quote. But, like, listen, there's this scene where he's talking about, like, oh, I only wear black because I can't be bothered to think about how I'm dressing. And then, like, in the same freaking breath, he's like... Ooh, I could stare at your legs all day, Ellie. I'm like, screw you, dude. <laughs> Poor Ellie just wants to do freaking science and can't do it without being sexually harassed for wearing shorts in Costa Rica. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, Gennaro, Gennaro, too. I don't think Gennaro ever did it out. Did he do it no, outright? No, no. Or was, it was just, he just like, like, yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> There's always dudes Yeah, Gennaro's like, there. I'll go with you. And Gennaro's like, ah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. So, like, that was fine, I guess. Like, Gennaro, Gennaro obviously was like, you know, there was, like, whatever his attraction was, whatever you want to call that. But, like, he didn't, you know, say... He didn't hit on her. You know, you sh- Yeah, he didn't hit on her. He didn't make any inappropriate comments. He didn't say sexist things. Yeah. He just, you know, followed her around like a puppy. Yeah. My favorite Ian Malcolm Which moment, though, was the quote, Story of our species. Everybody knows it's coming, but not so soon. <laughs> <laughs> that's us. All right, that's, like, one of these parts of these books, though, where it gets real deep real fast. Like, <laughs> you're like Michael Crichton does this shit all the time. He just, like, does this book, and, like, I, Jurassic Park's a very entertaining book, and you can absolutely just read it and take it at face value and have a good time. Yeah. Or you can take another look and go, yeah. well, shit. I mean, Crichton writes cautionary tales. He does. Like, and almost he, exclusively. And 30 like. years ago, this was a great cautionary tale. And totally. we fucked it it's up. It's relevant today. And it'll be relevant for the next 100 the years, assuming we're still alive. The science as well as it did, but, like, it will always be relevant, because genetic engineering is just a part of our, you know, world now. And yeah, it's not exactly. going anywhere. And you know what? no matter what, you know, what we might discover in outer space, like, life on Earth is genetic. <laughs> That's where it comes from. And we're going to want to keep tweaking it. Yeah, exactly. We're going to want to refine whether or not we should or not. And that brings us back to just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. But, I mean, should you? <sighs> Do you have an opinion on this? I really don't know how I feel about it. So, I... Because, like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, gene therapy is, like, so wonderful. It's going to, like, save so many lives. And on the other hand, I'm like, but how much can you edit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like the germline rule, which is basically that you can't edit anything that will, like, remain in, you know, the descendants of the person. Yes, I like... Although... There's one hand where, like, you're maybe you should go, well, we can, you know, make it a standard. Like, so let's say we get, you know, let's say in 100 years we have, like, this mastery of the human genome. We can understand it. We can edit it reliably. Whatever. Because we're pretty accessing, like, accelerating pretty fast in our research. Maybe that's possible. Sure. But let's say, because let's, let's say. say in 100 years we can say, all right, uh, these genes, you know, are attributed to autism. These genes are attributed to Alzheimer's. Like, all, you know, early arthritis. All these things that plague just general humanity right it's not like a hyper specific thing it's like a lot of people get alzheimer's when they're older and develop that so yeah is it okay for you to say um no like that's just like a thing you can choose like when you're you know when you've conceived a child go all right do we want a vanilla baby or do we want a modded baby and like the the <laughs> mods come with the sick baby no, the... <laughs> built let's in myself. pick out our baby so 
<laughs> so you get it without. My baby's got glowing eyes. Oh, God, you can see in the dark. It's an alien wear baby. <laughs> if I rotate its ear, it changes colors. So sick. Uh, no, but not even to that extent. I totally see what you're saying, like preventing human diseases. But like, don't you think that's going to turn into a class issue so fast? Oh my god, fast? so fast! So actually, one of the books I'm reading right now, um, the one I mentioned to you, is a possible future book that's actually just Red Rising, and uh, one of the major things in it though <laughs> oh, is, is high, they call them highborn, and it's like the richer people edit their children to become like you know stronger, faster, smarter, immune to diseases. Yeah, this is some eugenics. This shit. is eugenics, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, it becomes a problem. But, like, is preventing diseases eugenics? Yes, it is. But <laughs> you can argue that it's not. My, my point is this. Like, even if we say it's a class, if we take all that out, is it right to edit a child's genome before they're born? Like, I'm on board with, like, if you're 25 and you want to make yourself, I don't know, have blue eyes, let's just say that. I, I decide I'm 20, I'm 25 years old, I have some money to burn, and I decide I really want blue eyes, and I'll pay $20,000 for gene therapy to do it. It's my right. Like, I'm a 25-year-old. There's better uses for no, that. No, there's money, not. But, like, at least you're not in <laughs> No, so... Okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah, this is my evidence. No. So, no, my, my point is this, though. Like, that's my right. I'm a legal adult. I can make that decision about me. It's cool. Yeah. But, like, if you have an unborn child that you want to make all these edits to, oh, my God, they're absolutely, like, you know, maybe you don't want the child to have Alzheimer's. That's a... You know, especially on service value, like that's, that's a, a noble thing to do. Thing to do. Even if you don't know the child, like yeah. maybe the government, like, the government says, yeah, as part of like the vaccines that we give babies when they're born, part of that's going to be now, um, you know, gene editing. Like maybe like the government does that or something, or especially like in socialized uh, healthcare <laughs> systems, like that's a thing yeah. they could realistically do. But, you know, things like, is that right? The child is not alive yet. Like they don't have, they can't make these choices about themselves. I definitely have, like, a distaste for it, but I think a lot of that's just sort of, like, instinctive. You know you, what I mean? You feel like it's, like, you just have, like, a, it's almost a cringe, uh, it just feels it's an wrong, instinctual cringe factor. Describe it. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, we should be aware of when we feel that and, like, try to examine why we feel that way, and I haven't yet figured that out about myself. Yeah, I totally get that. But, um, I don't know. It's just, it seems wrong to me. It... I don't know if it's, like, the consent of the person being experimented on. Because, like, that, you can make that argument. Like, this cellular embryo <laughs> didn't consent. <laughs> but I don't know if it would hold any water because, you know, a lot of society doesn't really consider a cellular embryo, like, a, a person. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not to get into that debate. Let's, but, so let's really you know. stay far, far, far away from that debate. <laughs> let's, let's scramble on backwards from that. But I'm just, just saying. Run away from that precipice real <laughs> You're still fast. making choices for a future full-grown person. Yeah, okay. Because if, if we're going to assume this person, like, let's just say this baby's going to be carried to term. Like, that's just, the plan is yeah. for this baby to become to term. That's the presumption. Yeah. If you're taking care of their Alzheimer's machines, I'm sure you can take care of their probable miscarriage risks. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's, like, usually the concern. I think it's more like, we can't feed the... I was saying, if you're in there, you might as well fix everything. No, you're right, you're right. So, like... Oh, no, that's a good point, though. Like, when, uh, like, mothers have, like, prenatal surgery, do you say, like, oh, hey, this child has this thing going on? Oh, yeah, you have, like, a, uh, congenital heart defect and we're going to fix it before you're even yeah. born. Isn't that the same thing as just saying we're going to turn off the gene yeah. that causes Alzheimer's? That is exactly right. I actually never thought of that before. But, okay, so this is a bad hypothetical, though, because Alzheimer's is not one gene, you know? And an autism is not one gene. There are dozens of genes involved and environmental factors, and you just can't control it that easily. I mean, there's things like... Um, other kinds of de- genital... You're the worst. <laughs> Genetic. Keep going. Keep going. Genetic disorders. That... <laughs> uh, maybe genital disorders. No, probably not. Um, that are come down to one gene. And those, you know, it seems almost like... Just go snap it no off. Brainer. Just, like, get in there and fix that bad boy. And, I mean, those are the ones that are getting targeted by gene therapy. But I feel like editing an embryo before it's developed is very different from... Well, yeah, like I talked about, like, they're not an adult. adult. We'll just have to see how well but, gene therapy works, honest to God. But Because we're still working on that one. But let's it go back to the hypothetical that we're, like, in 150 years, 100 years, and we've got this technology nailed down, right? Like, we understand. And even if we can make... Th- 
It's like, why not yeah, pick If we can make predictions about people. They're born, yeah, let's say like we had some sort of weird, wild adults. simulation on a computer that you could like input this data and drop in their DNA and it goes, all right, cool. This is what this is what'll happen, roughly, and like, that's you know it's it's yeah, it's a weird question, and I think in that case it's it's yeah you gotta like let that be able to be you gotta be able to do that, because you don't want to see your child or rather you may not ever see it but like you don't want to know that your child might develop Alzheimer's because that's like the literally the scariest thing I can imagine about growing old. Let's yeah let's talk about <laughs> something lighter. <laughs> um, talking rise of- in the machines. Uh, well, okay, go go on. All right, here's where I'm at with this. One of the reasons I feel like this whole system is screwed up is because they relied on automation way too much. Oh my like, god, yeah. They're like, we it can was like entire... 12 people to run the park. Yeah, we can. It's I can an entire run... island, but whatever. Arnold literally said, I can run the whole park by myself from this control center. Hubris, again. Yeah. I'm telling you, you got nothing like, on Crichton, Homer. You got nothing. Should... <laughs> Crichton, the Homer of our time. <laughs> kind of. So, oh my god, alright. So, Adventures that tales. tell moral stories, Peter? Come on. So, we've got Homer, Jesus, and Crichton. You know Homer, the famous sci-fi author? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> if you love sci-fi and fantasy together, for show. Sure. Oh my god, alright, so... No, so we look at all the machines they use, and, like, it's basic stuff. It's, like, automated feeders, and it's computer, like, uh, cameras being synced with computers and motion sensors and da-da-da-da-da. Again, before internet? Well, mainstream and, oh, I'm assuming they Yeah, before mainstream internet. internet, they were using modem to transfer data. So, yeah. but, but before, like, the World Wide Web as we know it, for sure. Yeah. So, Wasn't here's my issue with this, though. <laughs> yes? Sure. Why is that relevant? I don't know. I'm just saying. Connection it's between also be- It's also before iPhones and Peter, quick chargers. I don't know. <laughs> About computers. Okay. okay, so no, so here's, here's what I'm saying about thing. this. It's that like the full automation of the facility basically made everyone ridiculously confident and like lazy about it. They're like, oh yeah, yeah well, mm, weird. We have uh, it's, this is saying we have 291 animals. Oh, um, really? Because I just counted more copies in that one group than you said you've made. Oh <laughs> yeah. well, you know, this. But this computer says it's you know 35 copies. There was 40. It's fine. Listen. Like, that's yes. my issue with it, though. Everyone gets so lazy about it. Like, when people start assuming that things will be taken care of for them, like, certain things like water, electricity, things like we are pretty much taking for granted right now. Like, mm-hmm. we, sure, we pay for the utility, but as far as we're concerned, like, Cece, do you have any idea where your water comes from, other than the pipes? Not a damn clue, Peach. Yeah. Like, I don't know where the lo- local water cleaning station or water refining station is. Like, uh, I don't know where my gas comes from. I only just found out, like, in the last four years that different gas stations have different quality of gas and like go to one or the other yeah like i thought <laughs> it was just like everyone same? had i thought everyone had like basically the same gas and it was just like the tears no yeah. it's different and so that's the thing to me though like we start taking these things for granted whereas like you know i bet like um 90 years ago 80 years ago when like cars were just like automobiles were just like a thing like the model t came out like 70 years ago yeah and like these were wild people i bet they cared a lot about where they got their gas Probably. i bet like there was a huge process to get to it God, how did they get gas? I was just thinking about that, and I have no idea. But, <laughs> like, I'm sure they knew where it came from, who touched it, like, what companies did it. Like, I bet they had, like, a line of knowledge dating back to, like, you know, where it was the where it was the tapped. Yeah. yeah, where the oil well this game from was. Well, at least but, like, it was accessible now, anyway. we have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that is the whole point, is that, like, the humans in the story basically just set up systems and were like, all right, we trust them. Like, yeah. <laughs> no matter and how idea to me. 30 years ago... Like, 30 years ago, when this was written, the idea that, like, let's just trust them. But, like, you talk to someone, like, when, like, the phones are down or, like, when the internet's down. Oh, my God. Yeah. See how people react? No one has any idea what's going on. No one knows what to do. No one knows why it happened. Yeah. So, that's, like, that's what kind of upsets me about this whole thing. That's, like... Yeah, it's infuriating for sure. And, like, yeah, also, so like, much the full trust. knowledge that, like, you're the same way. <laughs> like, we aren't any better than this. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, I try, like, every once in a while I think about that, and I try to go do some research, but, like, I just, you know... They're like, eh, this is boring. <laughs> yeah, it's not even acceptable. It's I don't really boring. care like, what my reservoir is. It doesn't really there's matter. There's some people that do that whole job, that's, like, their job, but yeah. it's not my job, and I just trust that someone else is doing it right. And that's, yeah, like, a wild amount of trust. you just trust other people's confidence, even though you know nothing about them. Yeah, I know nothing about the dude that, you know, picks up my mail, and I'm almost certain he picks, he'll pick it up, like, every day and all. Totally. Like, totally, totally. Um, just speaking of the, like... <laughs> not knowing how many uh, dinosaurs were in the park. Listen, 
This is why I love graphs so much in this book. Ian Malcolm blew my damn mind with his graph of the compi distribution, the height distribution. Oh, that was really good. I was so excited. I was like, oh, it was like, of course, it was like, oh, that's like a thing. It makes sense. Like that's that's Crichton's logic and reason. I know. It made so much sense. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, perfect natural distribution. Wait a second. Not this shouldn't what be a natural. You want when you're artificially creating a population. That's not how it's supposed to look, y'all. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Uh, and, like, the fact that, you know, the biologists at Jurassic Park didn't freaking notice that and didn't have, like, an expectation for how their distributions would look. Like, they had the data for it. They had the data for it. They just never, like, looked at it with a critical eye at all. Never double-checked themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's why peer review is such a huge thing in science, though, because it's hard to look at your own work with a critical eye. Like, totally. editing your own papers is hard. You know, editing editing my own podcast is hard. I think I'm perfect the whole time. <laughs> What's to cut out? We're amazing. <laughs> I'll be back. I'm going to the bathroom for three minutes. That's a great three minutes of audio. There's <laughs> just silence and CC typing. So, like, that, that's what I'm talking about, though. Like, that idea that, like, you have to look at, have other people look at your stuff with a critical eye. And peer review is, like, the foundation of science. Yeah, because you can't really be trusted to evaluate your own work when it comes down to it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you are too inclined to believe your own stuff was right. I mean, like, it's like, uh, you ever gra- written a paper and, like, had, you know, like, a sentence fragment in it or something, like, an obvious problem that you literally don't even notice until somebody else edits it, and you're like, wow, oh, God, yes. I'm so oh, God, glad yes. I asked you to look at that because I would never have seen it, and it would have been so embarrassing because it's so obvious, like, once it's pointed out, but... Before, like, somebody else looks at it, it's impossible to see, or almost impossible to see. I can only edit papers if I'm using something to, like, do a, a text-to-speech system where I hear it, or, um, or I, like, wait a day and go back to it and pretend it's not my paper. Yeah. Like, I can't do and I have to edit it on paper or when reading it out loud. I can't edit it on a computer and just, like, read it. That's totally true. I agree. Because I, I know what it's supposed to say, and if I messed it up, and if I tell you a typo, I won't catch it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that's kind um, of a Doctor Who's the worst. Man. Yeah, he's like the classic academic with his head in the clouds, but like so much worse. Like, yeah, why doesn't exactly. he know exactly what species he got DNA from? That made me so mad. Well, no, didn't he know? But he was like, didn't. No, he didn't know. Oh, that's right. He <laughs> like, had the data, but he oh, like. Oh, what kind of d- DNA do you use? He's like, I don't know, some birds, some reptiles, and Grant's like amphibians. He's like, oh yeah, I guess we do use some amphibians. <laughs> Grant's like, f- frogs. I'm, I'm a paleontologist. Hi. <laughs> I work why with bones and dead things. Why do I know more about zoology than you? And why does freaking Ellie know more about veterinary medicine than the vet? It made me so mad. And like, yo, Grant's talking about stuff that's like totally reasonable. Like, I know that in, like that frogs like can and some amphibians have been recorded as switching their uh their uh gender. Like, you Peter that's a thing. Does? Yeah, like I Peter know about that, and I'm aware that that's a thing in the in the kind of the family. Yeah, but we didn't care probably because it was freaking automated. Yeah, we didn't care. No, but then he's the other thing. Like, that's a reasonable level of knowledge because I've heard some people. I've talked about this with some people, and they go like, "Oh, well, why Grant know? Like, Grant, you know, knew way more about various stuff than he should have as a paleontologist." But no, Grant's like talking about stuff that's like general knowledge for someone that's like in academia or like in something related to that field ever. Like that's baseline stuff you should know. (laughs) And the fact that Doctor Wu didn't know is a little wild to me. It's insane. Yeah, like he must have been just a biochemist, maybe. Like, just more chemists than bio. Yeah, I guess that Maybe. makes sense. But even but then, still, like, that's general know. knowledge you should know. I'm also, not, if you work I'm with not genetics... I'm not a woo apologist. Are you not a what? I'm not a woo apologist. Oh, woo apologist. <laughs> Are we going to use the apologist phrasing for every one of our episodes? Because I think we've done it so far. Well, yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess three months is a good trend. This is our, uh, our run. <laughs> it's a good run joke. The apologist this... <laughs> joke. <laughs> I guess the kids oh in stitches God. every time. You know what um, I want to talk about, Peter? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about de-extinction, which is basically okay. what happens in this. All right, let's go. So, like, I think pretty much most people who are curious already know, like, where the Jurassic Park science falls apart. Like, <clears throat> the half-life of DNA in perfectly preserved conditions is only 521 years. And, like, half-life describes the amount of time before half of something is gone. So... Um, in this case, after 521 years, half of the nucleotide bonds in DNA have broken. And under perfect conditions, all of the DNA would break by 6.8 million years. And 
<laughs> the Jurassic period took place from about 200 million years ago to 150 million years ago. So, yeah, it's it's not it's literally impossible. No matter how much we might want it. Again, I don't shame Crichton for this because he did write this like way before we knew that. Probably we know that because he wrote this and people got curious about it. I mean, I'm not saying nobody was thinking about this before, but like, he definitely, definitely a pop inspired a generation of geneticists. I don't think that's, you know, I don't think it's a wild thing to an say exaggeration. This book got me interested in genetics when I was like in high school. Yeah. And you and have never been into bio. I, yeah, I've never been into bio. I haven't taken, I haven't even touched bio since freshman year of high school. Yeah. No matter how like hard this... I try, you're never into bio. <laughs> like a much more feasible idea is the idea of resurrecting like woolly mammoths or hell freaking dodo birds like things that have gone extinct recently i mean mammoths went extinct and saber-toothed tigers went extinct and like all those um animals from that era went extinct around thirteen thousand years ago so like yeah their genes are good <laughs> like there's obviously we can't just grow them in a petri dish like there's steps involved but it's much more realistic to imagine that than Jurassic Park. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, woolly mammoths, like, if it depends on how much you want it to be, like, a woolly mammoth, but we can make hairy elephants. And that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's mostly there, and we've done that. Well, so one advantage that woolly mammoths have over dinosaurs, one of the many, is that um, they have, like, close living relatives. Like, you yeah, can exactly. So we can use a ton of elephant DNA. DNA with elephant DNA. That's not like completely absurd. Obviously, it's still a significant challenge, and the odds of succeeding are pretty low. But like, we could. But eventually, do it you if could we do cared it. Cared enough to try. Well, no, like the odds of succeeding are low, but like you know, eventually, I'm 100 percent confident that we could resurrect woolly mammoths and do it. If we birds. if we decided to do it, we could do it. I, yeah, exactly. I 100 percent believe that. Um, and there's actually kind of an interesting debate about. Um, whether or not we as humanity are obliged to resurrect animals whose extinction is our fault. Oh, that's kind of cool, actually. I never thought about that. I never thought about it either. And sort of the, um, I'm inclined to say yes when I hear that, you know? It's like a really nice idea, being like, well, well, we drove this guy to extinction, and now, you know, we're sorry, so we're going to bring it back and, like, this is our bad. level out the ecosystem, because that one's on us. But, um, might be guys might be other people have been like uh yeah except that's a humongous waste of resources when the climate's already going to shit like Which where is do we want to prioritize ourselves i um, mean i think like eventually or like we should prepare to do that like we should like you know make an effort to track down woolly mammoth dna in store or like yeah or yeah sequence uh you know dodo bird genome or sequence whatever other many species we've driven to extinction like actually another uh, species got put on the extinction list like this week Oh man! It was like a cougar, but like a cougar that had like cougars a mountain cougar. Cool. Or no, it was a. I, I think it was like yeah, it was a it was a cougar that's uh, native to East Minnesota. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you think about it, an animal who goes extinct, you know, this week, like officially, it it seems a lot more like probably we haven't up seen until they were years. officially declared extinct. Tons of money was going into their preservation. I'm sure. And not all animals are that lucky, but like a lot of them are. Think about black-footed ferrets. There were like 12 of them at one point, and now you know they're in a lot of different zoos and stuff. And I think there's some in the wild too. But like, yeah. oh yeah, we've absolutely succeeded in some places. But like the we idea we put that a they... lot of resources into keeping animals alive. So like, is it weird that once they're officially extinct, we're like, all right, we give up. Like we could do something about this, but we're not going to anymore. Okay, it's definitely it is definitely easier to keep like to have like all right we have a hundred yes. these things left let's cultivate that and let's like just feed them and give yes, them good I opportunities agree. to grow then let's sequence this gene DNA of a species that went extinct a hundred years ago and figure it out. I one hundred percent agree with that. But I, I think sequencing think the genome is an interesting thing to think about. I think we might have a moral obligation to store the uh, like store a record of their DNA. Like Titan. Yeah, absolutely Titan. Like a hundred. I was just imagining that room actually. <laughs> it was hundred percent Titan. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just totally like with that. No, I totally agree. Like, um, maybe just like implanting them in an egg and just like having an embryo that's frozen or something like that. Yeah, having a frozen embryo. Just like, I mean, I, how far, like how, what's our uh, DNA sequencing technology like? Pretty good. I mean, it's kind of come a long like, way since commercial the commercial DNA sequencing. Like, I don't think it, I don't think 23andMe is about to sequence every nucleotide of your genome, but it does, you know, the relevant stuff. Because we have tons of junk DNA. I think we only use, like, a small percentage of our genome, actually, to function. Yeah, so... I mean, 10% like... of our genome is endogenous viruses, retroviruses. 
like viruses that infected our ancestors and never really reproduced and just sort of chilled in our genome forever because they got they're deactivated. Just, they're here now. Ten percent. Ten percent. That's actually a wild amount because like viruses. I think how are little really, virus genomes are so are. small. Yeah, exactly. They're so <laughs> tiny. They're such small little genomes. I mean, <laughs> like, HIV is is ten genes. Yeah, exactly. You're hundreds of thousands of genes. Yeah. So you know that's a good point. So. Yeah, but, like, it can't be that hard to be, like, all right, um, hmm, well, we've got these samples of this cougar. Let's just store frozen, or, you know, as many frozen embryos as we can find and, um, sequence the relevant parts of its genome and just, like, store that. It's like, put it in the seed vault. To be fair. It's it's not a massive undertaking, but, like, there's an end game, you know? Yeah, like, it, the black-footed of... pair. What? Sorry. I just had, like, a weird vision of a awesome sci-fi world in which, like... We've colonized, like, different planets with, like, different climates, and we <laughs> clone animals that are, like, relevant to that climate on that planet to create our own ecosystem. TM, awesome. TM, TM. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, my, my point is that, though, like, we could do not a lot of effort, and also, like, there's an end game. Like, Blackfoot Bear is probably where, like, there was conservation efforts for years for them. Yeah. And, like, there probably still are. But my point is that, like... There's a time where you go, okay, yeah, we're good. Like, we, we've, we've, we've covered, we've gotten it done. We did the job. I mean, when have we ever taken an animal from, like, nearly extinct to not in danger? Has that ever happened? Uh, I think there was a species of panda. Pandas are, like, pretty endangered still. Because <laughs> pandas are, like, impossible to keep alive. Don't even make me go on a charismatic animal rant right now. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, they're only still alive because they're cute. Otherwise, they should have died out evolutionarily years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty... That's not a good thing to say. They ovulate once a year. They can't be helped. Oh, that's actually ridiculous. Okay. Fair point. <laughs> so, no, but like... Yeah, I, I think that there's enough money going into conservation that there's other ways we could do it that are more efficient and just kind of on the hope of one day in the future we'll have some plentiful bounty of humanity. Yeah. You know, to help, kind we'll, of help we'll us have out. reached a utopia and we'll bring back some awesome animals. Yeah, some dope animals will come back and everyone will be we'll like, just oh be shit! Rich people's private menageries. That's what I, I think is going to happen. Freaking genetic engineering is going to like make the class divide even worse. That's my theory. Cece, we had to say that for Red Rising. Oh my god, I know. This is actually all right, really anyway. to Red Rising. It's basically all of Red Rising. Okay. <laughs> Eugenics. <laughs> the trilogy. <laughs> Well, it's not as poor. Anyway, so, uh, do you have, well, do we have anything else? Because this episode's getting pretty long. Yeah, we didn't think it was going to be a long one, but here we are. I think those are most of my significant points. That's all I got. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, I think I'm covered. I don't know. Summary is, uh, don't be so arrogant, guys. Just, you know, everyone chill. Everyone be cool. Everyone just, everyone just be cool, okay? <laughs> uh, so let's go into our ending spiel. We've decided on a little bit of a format change because the Ender's Game episode and like what's more people think episode were so long that we had to release two, and so we think that that's probably a good idea going forward. Um, Peter, we agreed that we're gonna release two episodes a month, right? Oh shit! Do we actually agree on that? I thought we were debating it. Well, we can go for two episodes a month. Screw it. All right. So uh, the next episode will be released on fifteen. <laughs> if we don't, uh, it's Peter's fault. <laughs> fifteen February. Uh, it's Cece's fault. She's bad to get recording times with. She's hard <laughs> I'm to sorry, find time. I'm busy. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a, I have a I'm professional a career. Busy adult who has to work late a lot. It's fine. So we are trying to. Ha- we'll probably have another episode out uh, fifteen March. If we don't, um, I apologize for release all the no. crap I've cut out as a blooper reel. I mean, we should definitely have an episode about 15 March, but the next one after this one would be 15 Feb. Will it? Yeah, all these right, are sure. the February episodes. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's so January, we're 15 Feb, and uh, also <laughs> 15 March. <laughs> In case you were worried. And yes. also 1 March. So, that'll be cool. Uh, did we decide on what our next one's going to be? Uh, yeah, Annihilation. That's right, we're doing Annihilation uh, for in honor of the movie just release. the first one. So the first book of the Southern Reach trilogy, in honor of two weeks after that, will be the movie release. So that'll be pretty cool. Uh, so go ahead and you know, get start reading on that. You have two weeks. It's, it's not that long. Guys. It's a little dense, it. but it's not that long. Uh, it's, it's a very, very good book so far. I'm very much enjoying it. And CC uh, spieled to me the first time we ever recorded beforehand and just talking about how beautiful the writing was and how much it brought you into the world. Oh my so God, enjoy so that. Yes, enjoy your journey. We're proud of you. For so, if you it. <laughs> want to uh, rant at us because, like, we just we talked about how it might be cool to like 
edit embryos beforehand, go ahead and do that uh, at our website. Yeah, uh, come at us. Come at us first. Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash um, sci-fi sidebar. There is also our website, signifyingnothingnetwork.com forward slash sci-fi sidebar. You can find our forum there. You can find some information about how to subscribe. Go ahead and, uh, you know, shoot us an email, uh, put comment on our forum. Our email is <laughs> sci-fi sidebar at signifyingnothingnetwork.com. And uh, you can go ahead and email us, and we'll get back to you. Because I recently linked all the our emails with my phone, so I won't so have to we'll actually get really, them. I won't have to go through a really, really weird online login process. Now you just have to go through the hundreds of emails from our fans. <laughs> go ahead. Speaking of which, if you could go ahead and prove to people that we are a thing, uh, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on um, Stitcher. I think we're on. Uh, Twitch now? We're on, we're on Stitcher, we're on uh, Google Music, we're on iTunes. Literally uh, anywhere you want. We're basically everywhere you can find your favorite podcast, <laughs> as we, we are on now everywhere on. Everywhere you look. Everywhere you <laughs> TM, look. TM, TM, CC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Full House. Don't sue us. We, we, we took it. It's ours now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, all you right. claim. If you enjoyed uh, this episode IP. and you think CC's annoying but Peter's pretty cool, we have another Or uh, vice podcast. versa. Well, and you don't have shit yet. I have the universe in you. So <laughs> I you can you find. Really get to say it. <laughs> no. So I have another podcast, The Universe in You. Uh, basically, I talk about. It started out as like, uh, space, just random cool things in space, and it's kind of developing into. Here's a really weird thing about the universe, and that maybe is a little bit confusing, and I'm gonna try to tell you about it in 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, so those come out once a week, and uh, I gotta start working on this week's. Oh my! Uh, but it's this week's gonna be the string theory. So Excellent. go ahead and, uh, and find the universe That's in you. Good, uh, I know nothing about basically, all the same th- places you find this podcast, I've also gotten the universe in you on. All right, uh, do we have anything else? Uh, no, that'll be it. We would just love it if you would uh, share, subscribe, review, anything. Let us know if you love us or hate us or feel kind of lukewarm towards us. Share us with your friends. Or uh, one way or the other. Yeah, I know. We'd love feedback. We love feedback. We have got nothing outside of our family. And as mean as they are, we can't totally trust them. <laughs> All right, guys. They're so... wrong. They're wrong about us. <laughs> this is, this has been. <laughs> if someone tells something good. Our family only puts us down. All right. This has been. This has uh, been sci-fi, sci-fi sidebar. From the signifying by... nothing network. Uh, tale told by idiots. <laughs> Tough Question mark. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.